This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. So right off the top here, guys, I thought I'd let you guys know that there aren't many areas that I can speak on from a first-person perspective here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, right? Proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. But when it comes to shoulder injuries, I'm currently dealing with one as we speak. And if we get around to Chandler Jones, it was only a few years ago that I actually had surgery on Christmas Eve morning for a torn bicep tendon. So just in case that happens to come up, Kyle Odegaard or Darren Urban, I'm here to field any and all questions. I feel pretty qualified for once. Are you, uh, you, did you hurt yourself patting yourself on the back too much, Paul? Is that what happened? <laughs> you know, uh, that was a rotator cuff injury I suffered with the other arm uh, in my <laughs> earlier days before I got humble pie uh, hosting this podcast uh, every week. So, uh, yeah, that, that is true. I've recovered from that one. That was a rotator cuff. This is more of what I do believe is an AC. And I'm not talking about my air conditioning. I'm talking about my AC joint in my shoulder here, uh, Kyle. So uh, it was, okay, I know you want to ask, so I'll just let you know. I've started my own polypandemic workout that involves some pull-ups. And about two weeks into my pull-up routine, I severely injured my shoulder. So there you go. That's, 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 that's a classic story right off the top. So you know what? I'm feeling the pain of Kyler Murray right now, which is a really long way to go to bring up Kyler and the shoulder injury. Yeah, so when, when people say you don't have anything in common with professional athletes, and you can say you get hurt too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And in this case, I'm a diminutive American. But as we know, 2020 <laughs> is not just 2020. It is the year of the diminutive American. So uh, we thought we'd throw that out there. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> is I want to know, based on what you guys have seen at practice, man. Uh, and I know the media is only allowed to see just a little bit of practice, but based on that and the tone of those who've been speaking about the injury, Kyler, most importantly, but also as head coach, because we had a chance to do Cliff Kingsbury's weekly TV show game plan, Darren, I mean, you, you have years of experience trying to translate tone and intonation and body language into real answers and, and trying to discern what the real story is. Give us your best prognosis. Is, is that because, Paul, they don't give us the real answers usually? I think that is it. Um, I, I will say this. The fact that Kyler Murray spoke to the media this week uh, immediately after we all saw him not practicing, I think is a good sign. Usually if the quarterback talks to the media, unless they're really trying to hide something, which is always possible, it usually is a good sign. The problem becomes when they like decide not to have anybody talk uh, at, at when the quarterback usually does. And then you got all kinds of red flags but usually that's because there's more serious thing that's happening. You already know he's probably out. I, for me, the fact that Kyler got hurt very early in that Seattle game and then still ended up playing the whole way, I, I always thought that this was likely 
while something that could hinder him in some areas, not something that I would actually keep him out of a game. I mean, quite frankly, with the, the way the circumstances have played out right now compared to, let's say, the hamstring that got hurt in Seattle last year, I thought coming off getting hurting his hamstring in Seattle and going into a meaningless finale was for sure going to keep Kyler Murray out of the game, and it didn't. So I feel like this is a whole different situation with the Cardinals battling for a playoff spot, and again, Kyler playing an entire game after he first got hurt. But then, Kyle, there's also Kyler Murray being in the game and the future of football being himself. Kyler Murray actually being capable of of our marketing mantra, come for the arms, stay for the legs. Because to Darren's point, in week 17 last year, he couldn't run. And the Rams quickly discerned that, ascertained that he couldn't run. And, and they came at him with impunity, and they had no fear of him breaking the pocket. And we saw the difference in Seattle when we learned after the game that, guess what? There weren't as many run plays called. Kyler's number wasn't called as much in the run game because of the shoulder injury. Well, I don't know how much it had to do with the shoulder injury and how much it had to do with the way Seattle was playing them on the zone read where they took away Kyler from pulling it. So I think that was probably a bigger part of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think watching him throw, the velocity probably wasn't quite as great as normal after he got hurt. And that was just to my untrained eye. I mean, it's possible he was throwing just as hard and I was looking at it closer and making things up because you knew about the injury. Um, so that was, that's one thing I would watch. Does he have that same crisp velocity against new England? And then my other question is, I remember back in my day playing some street ball basketball, I would sprain my ankle and I could fight through it that day. And then the next few days, it kind of blew up and got sore and was actually a bigger deal afterwards, more so than the day of. So could Kyler Murray fight through it? Are there any lingering effects from once it gets stiff and after that? But with the way you're able to rehab in the NFL, the fact that they played on Thursday and they have this mini bye week and then a full week, I think that's going to help him. So I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. But when, when they get to New England and he gets out there, I mean, we're going to know if he's limited at all by the shoulder. It was interesting, uh, guys, that listening to uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who was pretty brief on the subject when he talked earlier this week about Kyler's shoulder, he got a little bit more in-depth talking when he got on the radio on uh, uh, 98.7 Arizona Sports Station. And, and he did acknowledge that he they changed they, – they probably called fewer running plays for Kyler or plays that he could run with – because of the injury and just be wanting to be careful and and going forward I think that's a huge thing because the one thing Cliff Kingsbury has been straightforward about is his uncomfortableness of Kyler potentially getting hurt on any particular thing it's I think one of the reasons they don't have a quarterback sneak in the playbook under center for Kyler Murray and uh, he's admitting that they didn't run, maybe run it, call as many run plays against Seattle because of it. Now, we don't know how much. And I do agree with Kyle that there were probably some plays that just ended up a little bit differently because of the way Seattle was playing them. But, um, you know, we, we and we've talked about this in the past. We all we all noticed this last year. In the again, the season finale in L.A. against the Rams when Kyler hurt the hamstring and really couldn't run. It changes the dynamic of this offense when he knows he can't go. Sorry for questioning you, Paul. That's my bad. 
You know everything. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, that Coach Cliff hadn't said that in the press conference because, yes, I heard that in the radio interview. Yeah. He doubled down on that when we recorded the uh, TV show that he was reluctant to call as many run plays. But you're absolutely right, Kyle, that they had doubled down on trying to protect the edges and, and keep him from getting loose. To me, I think the Chase Edmonds touchdown toss was evidence of that, that they overplayed him so much that finally they were able to use that as a liability against the Seattle defense. I'd love to see more of that going forward, whether or not he can run or, or not. But um, it's just a different offense. We saw it in L.A. in week 17. You saw it at Seattle. Uh, as for the arm strength, I don't know either exactly when it comes to velocity. I don't know. There's probably some next-gen stats on that. But I will say the <laughs> longest throw was 25 yards, correct? The longest throw was Max Williams, the 25-yard chunk throw near the goal line. And that's atypical. Usually he's he's airing it out. And so we didn't see a lot of throws down the field. Once again, was that because of coverage? And Seattle was going more too high and, and trying to keep everything in front of him. I'm not sure. But we do know that if you're going into New England, Bill Belichick will do his best to try to exploit any weakness and or try and take away any of your strengths in order of importance as he views it. So as far as Kyle, by the way, Darren, if, if Kyle has the ankle covered and I have the shoulder and the bicep tendon covered, is there an area that you're an expert in when it comes to injuries? Is there a body part? <laughs> I, I would not say injuries. I did suffer my share of ankle injuries playing basketball many times. And one time I, I don't know if I cracked a rib or just bruised ribs, but there was one time where I tried to like make sure that I, I, I wouldn't let a guy back me down one time and he got me perfect. And man, it was, uh, that was a problem for a good, oh, I don't know, month. That, that really stunk. Let me, let me ask you this. You have a Cardinals team that still ranks number one in total offense, correct? Correct. And number one in rushing touchdowns, I think. They're top ten in scoring. I, honestly, we're, we're, we're three guys who have seen every play of every game. And I'm amazed, honestly. I don't see a whole bunch of the other teams, you know, here and there and during the season, but I guess I'm amazed because Kyle, there's so much more that this offense could put out there on the scoreboard, on the stat sheet. To me, they haven't even come close to, to getting near a perfect game, so to speak. And so to the fact they're still leading the NFL in so many offensive categories always opens an eye for me. Yeah. And I mean, I think they've had some very efficient games, but overall, I don't think the the passing attack is quite elite. And I think to me, that's what is why they're not necessarily in a top five looking offense overall, because they're running the ball really well most of the time. And the passing game has hit on some chunk plays. And there are certain games where it was really clicking, but there are also games when it was a lot of short stuff. and They never had the explosive passes um, regularly for all four quarters. So I, I feel like that's the missing block in, in this offense is those downfield explosive throws that we don't get all the time. And I, I think if they can figure that out, I, I think they'll get it, but we'll see. Who was shocked that Trey Flowers was able to hold DeAndre Hopkins to five catches for 51 yards? How many times was Trey Flowers impressed, man, without any real help over the top? And the Cardinals weren't able – to cash that in, Darren, I mean, we were sitting there in Seattle watching that. And, and basically, because we're up higher, it's an all 22 view. Very different for me. I'm used to being on the sidelines. So you can really get a sense 
of, okay, what's available, what isn't. And I, my eye kept going to D hop and Trey flowers, a guy who had lost his starting position earlier in the year. They were without their two starting corners. I just was waiting for that big play to do a game changing play to happen to Andre Hopkins. And it never did. Yeah. It was an interesting game in that regard. And I'm not sure exactly what it was, you know, again, was it, did it have anything to do with the the shoulder thing? Did it have to do with the, the pass rush that Seattle seemingly all of a sudden found? I mean, is Carlos Dunlop that big of a change uh, that you're able to do some things there? Because uh, I did think that they were going to be a lot more effective in the pass game. And it's not like Kyler Murray had a bad game passing the ball. Um, and in fact, it was really the running game that really, I think, was the downfall because they only ran for whatever it was, 54 yards, which is way below what they had been doing. And part of that obviously was because Kyler didn't do anything, but uh, they couldn't find anything else either. So I think, you know, again, it goes back to what Kyle just said, which is while they have done some nice things offensively and they have a lot of yards, when you start watching the games, uh and, and actually watching the quarters unfold and, inst- and not just look at the stat sheet, you can see the holes. You can see what they're not getting. Uh, and it really is, uh, you know, I, I know it becomes cliche for so many teams, but it really does become amazing when you start thinking, wait, these guys are averaging 415 yards a game offensively and they are middling when you really watch them in terms of their execution. What would this team be like if they were – even operating at 80 or 90%, you take out the penalties. I mean, that's just crazy to me. Thank you. You just expressed my thought much better than I ever came close to. So I, I do appreciate <laughs> it because that is my sentiment. Exactly. And by the way, Coach Cliff did mention a few times Jamal Adams. So yes, yeah. Carlos Dunlap was a difference. He mentioned Jamal Adams, especially in stopping the run. That was a big difference. You know, a box safety like that, a Pro Bowl caliber safety that the Cardinals obviously didn't have to deal with on Sunday night football. That's true. And, and, and again, they're getting some personnel back. Like you said, they missing cornerbacks, but they go those other players, but this is, this is how this is all going to go over the season is these, especially in these two, two team matchups in the division, you don't always have the same exact situation that you did in the first game as the second game. And and those are going to change some things. And whether Kyle wants to acknowledge it or not, the Seahawks did have a players-only team meeting on defense the night before. So I don't know where that figures into all the metrics and analytics, but the all-important players-only meeting the night before the game, sort of akin to what the Cowboys did. I was going to say, was it watermelons? Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it wasn't a sledgehammer with watermelons and Coach McCarthy going Gallagher, you know, but, but you know, it was, it was something akin to that. That was a catalyst, Kyle, for making all the difference in Seattle's uh, epic, historically bad defense until Thursday night. Yeah, and once I saw the the watermelon thing in Dallas, I completely abandoned analytics, and I don't <laughs> believe in them anymore. I think the more watermelons you smash, the yep. more success you're going to find. So that's that's where I'm at. I'm at a watermelon to success ratio. Don't worry about your uh, touchdown to interception ratio. It's all about watermelon smash ratio. Well, I'm calling my shot right now, Darren. When we're in Foxborough, uh, if I reach to smash something, you better take cover because if there's another 10 penalties for 115 yards, uh, it's not flag football. I got a 14-year-old punk who plays flag football. This is not flag football. That's what the Cardinals are turning it into. And the most glaring stat, if you want analytics, Kyle, to me, is the Cardinals go into this game with 79 penalties on the year. That's the most in the NFL. 
And it's probably not a surprise that New England has the fewest at 36 penalties on the year. Yeah, and I, I do feel like seeing that the Patriots have been good at it and knowing how in high esteem people have talk about their coaching staff, their discipline, there probably is some correlation to, to coaching the finer points. But I also look at it like DJ Humphreys and Justin Pugh fall started a few times without any crowd. And I don't get how you teach them not to fall start necessarily. And I covered the Dennis Erickson, Arizona state teams back in the day. And those, those teams were kind of reckless and got a lot of personal fouls. And that, I think that was an undisciplined team with Dennis Erickson. That was and, the Vontez perfect factor. Yeah. Is what that was. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't see that really with this group. Like they're not getting a bunch of dumb personal foul penalties all the time. And, even the Drake Kirkpatrick one, there was like four Cardinals pleading with Drake Kirkpatrick and trying to pick him up and get him away. I think all those players on the field besides Kirkpatrick knew how important it was not to get the penalty and and he got one, but I, I don't think it's like a team-wide issue. I think that was an individually poor decision and we'll see if they could turn it around, but I agree that it's, it's obviously a huge thing. You look at drives in general and you get a false start, you get a holding, you get a sack. That's really hurting the Cardinals. And and when they're on schedule with Kyler Murray's mobility, they're just a hard team to handle when it's first and 10 and then second and short. You know, my theory on the offensive line, thanks for asking guys, goes something like this, okay? <laughs> Every year you go into Seattle and it's the toughest assignment for the O-line <laughs> because of the noise factor. You, you mean, you're, you're on edge all week. You're like, man, the noise is crazy. You can't, you can be screaming at the guy next to you and you can't hear each other. We got to be on point. Well, there was not enough noise. Knowing there's no fans and you know, and and there was just a letdown. I think there was just a letdown. They went in thinking, ah, this will be a piece of cake. This won't be nearly as difficult as most years in Seattle. And somehow they lost their edge because how else do you explain four false starts in an empty stadium? I would have to look it up, Paul. But I've been going to, I mean, the, the Cardinals moved to uh, the NFC West in 2002. So I've been at a game in Seattle every year since 2002. I would be willing to bet that that is the most false star penalties they've ever had in that stadium. I don't even think it's close. I, I, I remember looking it up and it's been a few years now, but there was at one point where everybody was talking about false start penalties. And I remember looking it up and the Cardinals actually would get fewer there than most places. And, I, and maybe it was the, maybe it's the focus factor and knowing it was going to be loud or maybe they were more comfortable with a silent count. I don't know, but I, I would be willing to bet a lot of money. That's the most false starts they've ever had and to have it happen. And, 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 you know, you and I were there, Paul, it wasn't just that there was no fans. They played a little bit of fun music if they made a big play in Seattle, but it reminded me of the Jets game where like, in the middle, as normal plays were going on, there yeah. was no sound in the stadium other than right. players yelling. And it was so weird. I mean, at least some of these other places do the little bit of crowd noise or whatever it might be. There was no sound other than, again, guys yelling at each other. And like when the, the Kirkpatrick thing happened with Metcalf, you could hear guys barking at each other down on oh, the yeah. There was a lot of bleeps, a lot of bleeps. We were, although you can repeat, Darren, what did you hear when there was the Bobby Wagner got flagged up for the oh, horse yeah. collar? What did you hear? Somebody from the uh, – he got the horse collar tackle, and somebody from the Cardinal sideline was yelling, you can't do that, Bobby. 
you can't do that, Bobby. And you could hear it clear as day. And we aren't, you know, we're up quite a bit. Not we're not at the <laughs> top of the stadium, but it's not like we're right near the sideline. Let me tell you, Darren kind of coined it there. The focus factor, Kyle, is that why the Cardinals have been playing from behind four straight games? Think about it. They've been behind at halftime four straight games. Is this a problem? Um, I mean, I don't put much stock into when you're ahead and when you're behind. I kind of look more at the aggregate. And I, I think they've been behind because they've played a pretty good schedule recently. You play a good Dolphins team. You play a good Bills team. You played a good Seahawks team. I mean, these if you were doing it against the Jets or something or Washington, okay. But I think the quality of competition is just higher at this point. And the Cardinals have been back and forth in all of these games, um, mostly for the, the past month or so. And I just think they're playing teams that have similar talent level to them. And the, I, I think the slow starts are, are bad and it's easier to play ahead. Um, but I don't think there's a rhyme or reason to why they're starting slowly. See, this is where you're wrong once again, Kyle, because as, as Ron Vera was asked about why Washington couldn't start faster, he said, I, I guess I need to smash some watermelons in the team meeting the night before. So clearly, <laughs> if, there you go. if, that's just a, that's... if Cliff just smashes some watermelons, it's going to change everything. There you go. <laughs> I, I love the comment from Mike McCarthy, by the way. He actually broke it down the next day and said, yeah, I, I didn't quite realize there was so much water in watermelons because his pants were <laughs> soaked. And Jerry Jones said, yeah, there's going to be a bill from the hotel. So, uh, yeah. No, you know what? The, the better quote from Mike McCarthy was talking about the benefits of flying charter because you can just take a sledgehammer on it, on the plane with you. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Darren. All right, Darren, be honest. We're in the trust tree right now. What's the okay. most outrageous thing you've ever packed onto a charter? And all your years covering all the road trips you've made on the Cardinals <laughs> charter, what's the most outrageous thing you've taken with you that you would never get in through the TSA? Well, I mean, the only thing I can say these days, I mean, it would be my all my fine more than three ounce whatever liquids in my toiletries, I guess. I, oh, I, that's boring. One well, time. I can what, tell a story, but I, I can't tell a story. But there's there is a story once upon a time of some things that were taken on a charter by a certain coaching staff way, way back in the day. And you might have even heard this story, Paul. So I can't bring it up right now. It's It's definitely not. It's definitely not for public consumption. Uh, well, uh, there, there might have been a deep dish Chicago pizza after a certain Bears road trip that I smuggled onto a charter. There might have been that was to go. I, that, that's about, you know, it's about as far as I got, really, at least as far as I'm willing to admit, Kyle. My eccentric uncle one time flew down from Chicago to Arizona and just brought a baseball bat and no suitcase, nothing. <laughs> I was a kid. I didn't know about it, but. It's uh, it's family lore at this point that all he did was bring a baseball bat. Wait, was that was that post uh, 9-11? No, way before. See, I will have a story about getting and, – and not to get too sidetracked, but as long as we're talking <laughs> about crazy going to airport stuff. And and what's funny is Paul, Paul remembers this time because uh, me and Scott Bordeaux went out to dinner with Paul and his cameraman with whatever station you were working with at the time in St. Louis – in 1999, during the hockey playoffs, when I was a hockey beat writer covering the Coyotes, Paul was there covering it. We went out to dinner one night, but at the, a, a, after one of these games, um, I and this was 99, of course, so pre-9-11, I took a cab to the airport with Scott, and my wallet fell out of my pants pocket um, in, the, in the taxi, and I didn't re realize it. Got in the airport, and long story short, I have no ID. I have nothing. Um, 
And because it was pre 9-11, we walked up to the gate and Scott Bordeaux was like, oh yeah, I can vouch for him. He's, he's a friend of mine. So they gave me my ticket and I was <laughs> able to go and I went right onto the plane. You know, I went through security with no ID because he vouched for me and it was all good. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, oh the story ends up that I didn't know what taxi company it was, but I made a couple phone calls. The hotel was really helpful. The taxi company was really helpful. Two days later, I got in the mail my wallet with everything, including all the cash in it. Still one of the most amazing things to ever happen to me. But can you imagine trying to get on a plane with no ID these days? I mean, it just <laughs> wouldn't happen. You can't I even, can't get, even a, get on the charter without no. ID and they know who I am. Right, right. I mean, they have your they have your fingerprints on file and your DNA and you still <laughs> won't get on that charter without an ID. I mean, there's absolutely <laughs> no chance. By the way, our Jim Omohundro just uh, cited, and it's a great recollection because it is a money recall here, that once upon a time, Rolando Cantu, former Cardinals offensive lineman and current team broadcaster, I do remember this. He brought back a big old slab of meat that was in like this vacuum packaging and it was, I think it was a slab of goat meat and it was a whole side <laughs> of like goat meat that he was gifted to him. It was like really exquisite sort of rare goat meat of some sort. And he just threw that right in the overhead and we flew home and it was beautiful. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't the Mexico city trip. Was it? I don't, it could have been, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Rolando is a God in Mexico city. I, I, I do remember that. It would have been interesting to go there this year and see if uh, his reputation still precedes him. I will say that of everything we lost on the schedule this year, the preseason, nobody, nobody's lamenting the preseason, but the Mexico city trip, I was looking forward to there, There's no doubt about yeah. that. And by the way, one other story back from the, when I first started doing some of the Cardinals charters, it was mid nineties. And I vividly remember a certain offensive lineman who will not, who will not be named here. And I was in the very, very last row all by myself. I'm not sure why. And, and, a, and a big old offensive lineman came back with a bag of ice, <clears throat> ostensibly to ice his knee, except there was something else in the bag of the ice that he cracked open one by one and drank on the way home as he shoved <laughs> me over to the window seat and took the two seats on the aisle and said, Paul, shut up as I ice my knee. I don't know. I don't know who it was, but I have some. I bet you. I, I bet you I could get it in one or two guesses. That's my prediction. He might share a last name in part with one of our other current team broadcasters. Put it that way. Uh, anyway, how about Isaiah Simmons? How about that rookie there, Kyle? How about him? And the team high ten tackles. He had a sack. He had a quarterback hit. Uh, give Give me your takeaways on Isaiah's game and what he had to say to the media this week. Beautiful segue per usual, Paul. Great job. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Zero connection or correlation whatsoever. You just got to own it and sell it. That's the key. Yeah, he's probably drank something with ice in it before, so there you go. Um, no, I mean, I, I thought I thought he was super impressive. It, that's, that's the type of play that you want to see out of your top 10 pick, and I know it, it took longer than people wanted, and there's been a clamoring for Isaiah Simmons for a long time. But to be honest, from what we saw in San Francisco in the opener, I don't fault for Vance Joseph slow playing it because it did not look like Isaiah Simmons was ready in week one. And, and instead of putting it out there, you had Devondre Campbell and you had Jordan Hicks, two solid veterans. So I think they did it right. But at this point, Isaiah Simmons looks like he's mentally ready and physically he just he's just a different kind of species out there. He's he's so big and he's fast and he can really tackle. So the, the job he did against Russell Wilson a couple of times in the open field against Tyler Lockett, it just gives you a lot of confidence that if he's around the ball, he's going to make the play. 
So have we checked the depth chart this week, Darren? This is an honest question. And uh, if I was poly prep, I know the answer to this question. But where exactly do things stand right now at weak side inside linebacker? That is a fantastic question. And uh, it would also would have behooved me to check that myself uh, before we were on. But, but I, I will say this. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not making any official changes like that um, just because – you know, I, I think at this point, uh, Devondre Campbell is a guy that obviously you're still going to be using. You're, you're not going to you're not going to be in a situation where you're just going to send Campbell to the bench or kind of make him a special teams guy. I don't think I mean, especially, Paul, uh, with all the, the missing um, defensive linemen that they have right now, which is a ridiculous amount. Um, you know, you, you do feel like using extra linebackers only makes more sense at this point in, in this situation. But I, I can't say now that I'm looking at it, Isaiah Simmons still officially listed as a backup, but do I think his playing time is only going to increase? Do I think there are going to be chances that he's on the field instead of Devondre Campbell going forward? I absolutely think that. And he should, because I thought he played a fantastic game against Seattle and you're, you, you do, like Kyle said, you, you see what they see in him. Uh, the amazing uh, athleticism. And, you know, Vance Joseph said, guys, that, you know, it's not just playing inside linebacker. I know early in they're like, okay, we, we want him just to be inside linebacker. We want him just to be inside linebacker. But Vance Joseph said, look, he's playing, he's the Swiss Army knife we wanted. He's playing outside linebacker. He's playing inside linebacker. He's playing a little bit of nickel. He's playing a little bit of safety. So he's already doing those Swiss Army things that everybody talked about doing. He, we've, we've arrived at that point. See, I wasn't buying it. I, I got to tell I wasn't buying it earlier, Kyle. Remember, we talked about that. Oh, he's going to strictly stick to one position. Remember, there's there's what they say sometimes in these press conferences at the beginning of the season. And then there's what you can sort of discern based on the body language and sort of the logic of it all. And sure enough, he, he has been tutored and coached up at, at several different positions. Not as many as at Clemson. He's not getting 100 different snaps at five different positions. But he is pretty pretty versatile, whereas – supposedly he was only going to concentrate on that one inside linebacker spot. Yeah. And certainly the Miami game, he was forced into that nickel cornerback role because the Cardinals were pretty much out of cornerbacks in that game. So he had to play there now that you're in a little better shape. Where do they use him? And I'm interested in this game. I mean, Jalen Thompson isn't going to play. It seems like Deontay Thompson's on the COVID list, which means he probably won't play. Um, and if you don't have those guys and you're going against a very run-heavy team at time in the Patriots, do you slide him back to that box safety and have Devondre Campbell and Jordan Hicks and Isaiah Simmons on the field together? Or almost that 4-3 look we've seen at times defensively with all three of those guys. So I feel like, yeah, it's an interesting question because Devondre Campbell has still been one of your best 11 players this season. You would like to keep him on the field. Do you feel comfortable moving Isaiah Simmons around? Do you just want Isaiah Simmons to stay mostly at inside linebacker when everybody else is healthy? That to me is a, a very intriguing question moving forward because you had a, a glaring hole at slot cornerback when Byron Murphy wasn't playing, but you don't have that anymore. And, and now where do you use Isaiah Simmons if people are healthy around him? And you know what, especially when you look at the team you're playing, right? Cam Newton, the fact New England went into this week 11, leading the NFL in rushing attempts, a top three rushing team overall, even though they were bottled up 
surprisingly so by a Texas defense that, that had struggled uh, almost the entirety of the year, although J.J. Watt had a heck of a game. He recaptured his nickname, J.J. Swat, with four passes defensed. But, I mean, if you're – we all know. We've seen Cam Newton up close. We saw what Cam Newton has done to the Cardinals historically. We know about the 2015 championship game. Look, is he the same Cam? No, but he's still 6'6", 245, 250. And I feel a lot better about my front seven if Isaiah Simmons is in there, either at inside linebacker or box safety. And at times, I'm not sure what their tendencies are. I wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah Simmons is a spy on Cam Newton. And that's when you know you have an NFL game. <laughs> you have that sort of athleticism and size matching up against each other. I, that, that's an intriguing game within the game to me. You know, if it's a game of matchups, I, I think that's interesting, especially when you're missing a couple of your key safeties. You're going to have to improvise. Yeah, and and – you know, it's, it's funny when you mention spy, it's weird because you don't, to me, Cam isn't a guy that you would normally think needs a spy per se, because he's not that kind of runner, but it, it, it is kind of interesting as well as the fact that as you mentioned his height and weight, Cam Newton, he's bigger than Isaiah Simmons in both areas, which is kind of funny. Um, you know, this, this is, this is a very intriguing game for this defense because the Patriots haven't shown a lot of consistency offensively. Cam Newton has been inconsistent throwing the ball. They don't have a lot of weapons at receiver. Demir Bird went over 100 yards last week. And, you know, my, I, I love Demir. He was a great guy. But if he's the guy that, you know, is your number one receiver, I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be super worried. But at the same time, the Cardinals are struggling at safety with Jalen Thompson hurting and Deontay Thompson having the COVID issue. And the defensive line is a mess right now. I, I don't even know what they're going to do there um, because who, who, what bodies are going to be available? Are they going to be elevating guys off the practice squad who uh, nobody knows and, and having them to play a role? Is Michael Dogby going to be a starter this week because they just don't have the bodies? Now, Zach Allen did come off injured reserve, right? That's a possibility. He's not, so he's he's on the designated – he's still on IR, designated to return. So his window is open. He's got to be elevated to the active roster sometime in the next three weeks. But he's still on IR. So he may not be back this week. He could be. We'll have to see. I mean, this was his first practice in weeks. Um, you know, and the other – you know, they got Rashad Lawrence. They opened his window coming back to practice. But he hasn't been practicing. So I don't know if he – re-aggravated himself and the problem there is again you've only got a three-week window and if he's not ready at the end of the three weeks do you take up a roster spot to put him back on the roster uh because you're hoping he gets close or has this ended his chances of returning it's they're just juggling so many things right now on the defensive line and i i think they can get away with it against the patriots um you know i, I don't I would rather have them have some guys there for the Rams game because the Rams seem like they're running it okay. You might be able to get away with it against the Giants, but you're going to see the Rams again. I mean, it's just you don't want this defensive line to remain this banged up, especially going into a time of year where, God forbid, COVID you know, jumps up and takes one or two or four of your guys like the Ravens. Well, here comes Domata Pecco, right? 15 yeah. years in the league. So uh, that, that's the one reinforcement, the, the seasoned veteran they signed. Heck, you might see him dress for the game and actually get into the game, Kyle, at this rate. Yeah, and I think it's, it is a, a tough time of the year to not have them against the Patriots because, like Darren said, when they don't have a lot of passing options, 
the Patriots might really just try to bully the Cardinals defensive line and do jumbo packages and, and do some quarterback runs or some options and just keep on trying to move the ball on the ground. I mean, you look at these offenses and it, the more possessions to me, the better for the Cardinals because they have the superior offense in this game. So if the, the Patriots are able to extend drives and try to make this kind of an ugly uh, drag it out type of affair that to me plays in their favor. And, and we'll see if they can dominate the trenches on, on offense, then the Cardinals are going to have to figure out a way to, to stop that run and, and to make Cam Newton throw the ball. When the Cardinals won there in 2012, Darren, yes. remember that road game with Kevin Cobb? Oh, very much so. And remember, Ryan Williams fumbled the ball. They were trying to run up the clock. Ryan Williams fumbled the ball. Should have lost it, and Stephen Goskowski blew a 40-yard field goal attempt at the buzzer that would have beaten them. That's right. Was that the season opener? Where that was, was the, that? That was the second game of the season. They had won the season opener. I can't remember who against in 2012. Um, oh, 2012 was the CX. They beat Russell Wilson in his first game ever. That's right. At home. That's right. And they and they went, then they went to New England. Uh, Tom Brady played. Yep. Uh, they had Rob Gronkowski and another awesome tight end named Aaron Hernandez, who was actually people expected mm. to have a bigger year than Gronkowski. And he got hurt in that game and ended up missing a lot of time. Quentin Groves had a block punt, I want to say, uh, in that game, wow. the late Quentin Groves, rest yep. in peace. And, uh, and somehow they grinded out a win up there against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in one of the most improbable victories I have ever seen this franchise have. That was, a, I, I just remember that vividly, just that scene on the sideline and just the stunned silence by the Patriots and the, and the Patriots crowd. Yeah. It was really mouthy that entire game. And, uh, and the card, that's about as, as much as I've seen a team enjoy a regular season win in a long time. They went two and they would be four and and then they lost nine in a row and you got the coaching change at the end of the season. That was a, amazing roller coaster ride of the season uh yes yes it was it was <laughs> i mean you think about the last two times the new england though paul you had the 2012 and then you had the infamous 20 2008 game in the snow that was 47 nothing before fitz's late touchdown and you know the whole mess and the worst playoff team ever and then going to the super bowl i mean it's it's usually quite an interesting trip it's weird for the Cardinals to go up there in this one and, and be a favorite because it's so rare for anybody to go to New England and be the favorite team. And it almost makes you uneasy for the Cardinals. Like you're going against Bill Belichick and you're on the road and you're the team that is expected to come out with the victory. And you look at the way the Cardinals have played this year compared to the Patriots. It's, I think it's, it's, it, it's fair. I mean, the Cardinals have been the better team. Um, but playing in New England, I think everybody knows, is not easy. And we saw the reverence Cliff Kingsbury has for Bill Belichick, learning under him and, and talking to him throughout his coaching career. So I think there's a lot of interesting storylines heading into this game. And I'll tell you here on Pacific uh, Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Here you go. Our Jim Omohundro working overtime. The Holy Cannoli staff from that 2012 uh, win at New England, it was the Cardinals were the first team to defeat the Patriots in a home opener in that stadium, Gillette Stadium. It opened in 2002. That was the first time they'd lost a home opener in a decade. First time ever in the history 
of what was a brand new building 10 years prior. So that's that's pretty amazing. What also is amazing is when Cliff Kingsbury talks about Bill Belichick and, and says with all seriousness that he could coach any position group to an elite level. That's his knowledge of the NFL game and of football. And it is staggering when you look at just some of the basic stats in his initial one paragraph bio for Bill Belichick. And that not only is this his 21st season, this is his 46th consecutive season of coaching in the NFL as an assistant or a head coach. It's just staggering when you look at, at some of the numbers that he has compiled over his legendary career. Cliff Kingsbury's had 41 years on earth and Bill Belichick's been coaching for 46 years in the NFL. <laughs> right. So, and you think of all the coaching changes around the league since then. Um, and, and that's why, you know, there's a lot of people who, who speculate that this could be it for Bill Belichick. And to me, he's not going out like this. He, he hasn't had six losses in a season since 2008 or 2009. I forget which year. Think about that. Think about the success. I just don't see him pulling the plug on his career after a season like this where they're going to miss the playoffs for the first time in forever. Well, um, I don't, was it, I don't think it was 2008. Cause I think they went 11 and five in 2008, the year they didn't have Tom Brady and has somehow got Matt Castle to do wonderful things. He's, he's an incredible coach. And, and that's why this game is like so scary because it's the Patriots and more importantly, it's Bill Belichick. I mean, you can't, you know, I did a radio interview with a, a Patriots radio station and, you know, they were basically like, how does it feel coming in basically as the dynasty is fading and, you know, this team is struggling. And of course, they're all like, this team is struggling and what what's wrong and everybody's going to beat the snot out of them. And I just look at it. I'm like, on, an, on a given game, I mean, you you better be prepared. I mean, d- does anybody really think we talked earlier in the podcast about Kyler Murray running the ball. Does anybody think Bill Belichick is going to give Kyler Murray any ability to run the ball today? I don't, or in the game. I don't. I, I think that's going to be one of the first things he takes away. And um, and he's going to be good at it, whether he's got the personnel or not. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Cardinals counteract this stuff. And they just went against Deshaun Watson. So And Deshaun Watson had a highlight reel four-yard touchdown run where he took tacklers with him. And I'm guessing that the Patriots defense didn't enjoy seeing that showcased on every highlight show uh, the entirety of Sunday and Monday. So, uh, yeah, they've had a little practice against a dual-threat quarterback. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Darren. Absolutely. And then who knows about the weather? That's always an advantage for the Patriots. Just like the 2008 snow game, the Cardinals were done before that game ever kicked off. That was just the insane weather conditions that – look, West Coast teams just aren't accustomed to. It's a huge advantage for the home team, and they know it, and the game played out accordingly. So you always have to worry and wonder about the weather. And so, uh, yeah, there, there's – and look, just for me, just any recollection of Cam Newton, and I, I still go back to what he looked like his 2015 MVP season where he was the alpha male on that field. Before that NFC Championship game, 90 minutes before kickoff, he's parading through the Cardinals' side of the field, basically looking at a guy saying, who wants some? And so you know he's whether he's going to bring the same sort of performance. No, most likely not, but he's going to have that same sort of bravado. And uh, so that's always a consideration as well. I don't know if there's one thing that scares you the most about this, this game, Kyle, but maybe we'll wrap it up with that. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to um, 
the, the offensive line for New England. I don't know how, how good it is, but just the shortage of defensive linemen the Cardinals have. And I just wonder if this game is, is going to be kind of ugly and run-oriented and, and something that plays into New England's hands. And I, I just think overall this game is extremely critical when you look at the Cardinals. I mean, you, you got to win this to stay in the hunt in the NFC West. And if you win this game and you get to 7-4, and four, I think the, the Cardinals are in a fantastic spot to to wrap up a playoff spot. And I don't think it would be particularly close, but if you lose this game and and then you let the bears or the Vikings or these other teams kind of hang around and then it gets dicey as far as even grabbing a wild card. So I think if the Cardinals win, I think they're going to be in really good shape. And I think there's going to be a lot of optimism moving forward. And if they lose, there's going to be a lot of, fingernail biting and some concerns about where the this team is headed. I mean, you're talking about three losses in four games and the one win being a Hail Mary. And I still think this is a good team, but I think the narrative, if they lose, is going to start shifting. So I, I think it's an important game for all those factors. And and I, I think the Cardinals are the more talented team, but like we've talked about, it's a tough time of year. It's a tough location and you're going against a great coach on the other side. So it, it feels like a coin flip type outcome to me. And guess what? The week before the Patriots played Deshaun Watson, they got Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. So there's going to be no shock and awe at a quarterback with the ability to run the football. If indeed Kyler has the ability to run the football which just brings us full circle to the shoulder. So if there's no further questions about my shoulder, then I think we can wrap (laughs) up this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. So Darren, you sure? Uh, I'm I'm feeling positive about your shoulder and I'm I'm hoping next week's podcast, as we zoom these things, I'll be able to see that shoulder there because it would really look awkward if you did not have a shoulder. You know what Darren missed? I'll leave it with this. You know what Darren missed, Kyle, on the team plane? Because Darren has the misfortune of sitting next to me back in row 40, uh, otherwise known as the last row on the plane. Anyway, I was so accustomed to wearing the mask because, you know, the mask is mandatory at all times and it's a long flight and we were tired. It's a dead of night. Darren sacked out. I actually decided to have a, a meal and what he missed was me cramming my fork full of food up against my mouth, but failing <laughs> to take the mask off because I was so tired and so accustomed to wearing the mask that I got to, the mask was like Dikembe Mutombo. And I'm trying to go ahead and stuff a fork full of food into my mouth and no, no soup for you. And boom, it just tumbled right down back onto my tray. And I kind of looked <laughs> cautiously to my left to see if Darren caught that. And he didn't, he missed it. So I was saved. I've done that a couple times, not quite where I've smashed into my mask and it's fallen off, but I've had like a, a sandwich or something and lifting it up before realizing the mask was still on. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> so I didn't get to I didn't get to eat that forkful, but it was still a forkful of humble pie. So we'll leave it there on Cardinals Underground. <laughs>